Uh, good morning, Amelia. It's uh, it's morning time here in Ireland. Um, five fifty one a.m. What time is it in Australia? Uh, three twenty one p.m. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, you have BPD. Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> One of the main things to get onto the podcast is is BPD. Um. So do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? So, and we'll get going. Um. All right. Yeah. So I'm Amelia. I'm from South Australia in Australia. I'm nineteen. I'm almost nineteen years old. Um. And I'm a social work student. Uh, uni so yeah yeah okay so you and when were you diagnosed with BPD um I was diagnosed when 16 so just at the end of 2018 okay okay and so you're three years into your diagnosis but I mean you didn't you didn't just happen to have it at 16 it couldn't be just uh, one day you had it at 16 and then all of a sudden you're three years trying to figure it out I'd imagine what was it actually there you go what was it like figuring out that you have BPD, was it a relief? Was it not a relief? Um, well, I think when I first got diagnosed with it, with the official term of like having borderline personality disorder, I think it was more that it was a little bit of a relief, but it was a bit of a shock at the same time because I wasn't in Australia. It's a bit weird with your care. I wasn't really told much about diagnoses around my care and that they even had that on the idea plates with my doctors and my parents. And so when I was sitting in an appointment room with a psychiatrist and he turns around and he goes, well, I'm diagnosing you with borderline personality. So I was like, whoa, where did that come from? But now, you know, they were like, oh, well, we've got to send you to like a facility that does DBT and all that stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, you've all got to figure it out. Okay, okay. And and three years on, how are you? How are you, we'll say, from when you first were diagnosed? Oh, I'm so much better. When I was first diagnosed, I wasn't even living at home. I was living with youth workers because I just, my mental health was so unstable and I couldn't be at home. I'm I'm living at home with my mom just because I'm doing uni. Um, I never thought I'd go to uni. Um, yeah, uni was never on the table for me, huh. um, I guess, with my mental health. But yeah, I just, I decided to go and it was one of those things and I'm loving it. Brilliant. And what are you learning? What are you learning in uni? I'm doing social work. So you're going to go back into it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, in fairness, it's one of the greatest things because I find, no, I spray cars. Um, so I'm nowhere near uh, anyone that's trained or qualified in, in a sense of, uh, you know, education in that sense. But I think it's brilliant that people do go back in, especially if you have experience with VPD, because people need in my opinion, they need people that live it and have experience. You know the type of way, because I know if you, if I was talking now, the therapist I had was brilliant, but if you were talking to someone and they have BPD and they're a therapist or counsellor, you will gravitate more towards them on the basis that we kind of understand each other. We get each other. That's the one thing I know about BPD. We've never spoken. Practically 99% of all the guests that come on here, we never really speak in conversation beforehand. And we always have really good podcasts, you know. Well, I think they're really good. (laughs) (laughs) I've listened to a few of them in my spare time around uni and they they are good. Oh, thanks very much. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The T-shirt's in the post. (laughs) Um, No, I enjoy them. I I enjoy having a good conversation with someone with BPD. Um, and I do actually, like, even, you know, I'm going to work today. Um, even my wife was saying to me this morning, you're doing a podcast at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. 
Are you not working tomorrow? I say, I'm working tomorrow, you know. So even the likes of this, it's great even before I go to work, you know. But um, yeah. So you're three years on. Do you want to talk about how you how you got into diagnosis or and, and you don't have to? Do you want to chat yeah. about that? Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess for me, I was most of my younger teen life, I was in and out of psychiatric wards in the children's hospital in my state. And I'm going to be honest, my care there was a bit iffy. It was good days. And then there was bad days with the actual care within the doctors and the nurses. Mm-hmm. I I knew I had mental health from the first time I ever went into one of the facilities. And it was just, I guess, a bit of a shock for me. I was like, I don't think I, sh-, like, I was like, I don't know why I've got mental health. Or why is this happening to me? And I got, I, I was really confused. And so I go look up my reports now and it always, nearly all of them, except for maybe the first two admissions into the hospital, all of them says borderline personality traits. And I don't know if it's, I don't know how many countries are like this, but I know in Australia, the criteria is you have to be over 16 to get the diagnosis. Um, So they have the set age for it. I think it's so because of your brain on how it's like growing and things like that. Um, And so it was always had traits next to it to see if I was going to grow out of it or if it was borderline personality disorder. And they, I got to 16 and I went in on my 16th birthday on to the psychiatrist and they're like, you've got borderline personality disorder. And I don't know, I guess I was a bit shocked and I don't know. I was, I was a bit confused on why I was never informed that maybe this is what I had. Like we could have started doing simple things like within maybe DBT before that to try and, lessen the symptoms that I had already it was I was a bit confused but I think like now looking back it was good that I got the diagnosis and maybe maybe they didn't want like you know it's when you're labeled with something maybe you know teenagers growing up um hidden puberty you don't really want to be labeling any child with uh, an illness especially so stigmatized with the current times we're in I mean labeling someone in the 80s fair enough labeling someone that can access google and look it up and look at the stigma behind it. I would, I would err on the caution of labeling. Yeah, Doctor Google is one of those um, yeah, weird that, places. Yeah. So I mean, the best thing you did is when they went into the psychiatrist and hey, happy birthday! You've borderline, by the way. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're 16 now. We can fucking label you. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and they're all there with it. I had that picture when you said it. I went in for my birthday and I was just picturing all the psychiatrists in a row going, happy birthday, by the way, you have BPD. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got in there like, oh, by the way, I, they literally, when I walked in, they're like, oh, by the way, happy birthday. Yeah. And then they said, I think, I reckon two minutes later, they're like, oh, by the way, you've also got borderline personality source diagnosis. I was like, okay. <laughs> exactly how I imagined it in my mind, except for, <laughs> you know, the little hats and the blower. Yeah. <laughs> just uh, that was missing, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you're diagnosed at 16. You would have always been a hypersensitive child then, would you have been? Um, I was more of a... I, when, so I was a, kind of a child that around family, I was really quiet. Yeah. And with peers, I was really outgoing. And my we never understood why. But then I came to this age where I was always, not always, but a lot of the time really sensitive about certain things. And we never understood why. We just thought maybe it's cause of things going on in like the family lifestyle and it might be affecting me more than parents think it might be. 
But yeah, I guess like as a child, I was within, I reckon around eight to 10, I, eight to 12, sorry. I was around that really hypersensitive er- like area. Before that, I was kind of just either shy or outgoing, depending what situation situation I was in. And you made me asking, you know, because like, I'm inquisitive, I suppose, and this is what it's for. But any question I ask you, if you don't want to answer, by all means don't, because this is a podcast, and I'm very mindful of the fact that if you say something now, I don't want it incriminating you. You know that type of way where you're going, oh, I shouldn't have said that. So I'm going to tell you that. Um, We'll say when you were a child, did you, were you able to receive affection? As a child, for my own family, I received a lot of affection. My mum, still to this day, is my biggest hero. I love her to bits. As long as we, as as much as we have our like, you know, normal child, well, child and parent mm. arguments, like a normal family, she was the best person for me, and she still is. My dad, yes, he's around, but I didn't. He was always working away, okay. and I saw him. I reckon every weekend or every second weekend because he was always in a different state working for um we have an organization over here in um, Australia called Cancer Council and he was always working with them trying to promote like getting awareness for cancer and Aboriginal health um and things like that and so not that's I have nothing against my father for doing that he did his job Mm. I guess as a young child I didn't understand why dad was never there but Within the family environment, I've got heaps of love and infection. Within, like, I guess social, because like, I, I guess there is a two different types, I didn't get that as much within social. So I guess it was more family. Uh, no, and, and what I was looking for is receiving it. How were you, we'll say, if someone was affectionate with you, how were you able to receive it? Were you, were you comfortable receiving affection or were you uncomfortable? As a young child, loved it. I any day would go for a. I would any day I would love a hug. Um, I guess when I got to the more like ten year old age, I kind of didn't want anyone to touch me. I got to that phase of just go away. And I reckon I lasted throughout my like early teen years as well. Right, right. And then, in your opinion, what do you think brought you into the diagnosis of BPD? Um, a childhood trauma for the fact, yeah. I'd, I don't think there's any really, because I know sometimes I think genetics is a play of it. There could be some genetics into it, but there's not really ever been a borderline um, diagnosis within the family. So I would say the childhood trauma. Okay, okay. And um, I'm not going to push you on that in in case you don't want to talk about it. So um, a childhood trauma, yeah, it's definitely what I see with people with BPD is the child is generally hypersensitive and then like literally one trauma will bring it in, which... To be honest with you, if you're born on planet Earth, you're going to have one trauma. Like, and I'm not spiritual, but at the same token, it's literally impossible. Like when I figured this out years ago, I went, when I was, I'm a parent of three children. And uh, of course, as a parent, you want to make sure and try your best, you know, for your kids. But when I looked up and seen the trauma, one trauma with one hypersensitive child, and that's it. That's just yep. like I've talked like I've talked to thousands of people over the last 10 years or 12 years, actually thousands. Like, and it's not like I'm pretending I literally have. Um, and it's like one trauma, like yourself, one trauma. The amount of people that I've talked to that come from really stable 
backgrounds that parents are looking at their kids going, oh, I don't know, um, I don't know, uh, uh, I don't know what to do. It's like, and I was like, did you ever experience trauma yourself? No, no, um, I don't know, I don't know. Duval has been hypersensitive, like, and the, and the confusion in the parents is unreal. <coughs> and I do joke, I go, you'd want to go back to your parents there and give out to them for not giving you a hard life. Like, you can't literally, you don't know what to do with your child, don't you not? And they're like, no, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know what to do. And they just have the clue because they never experienced trauma themselves. They're born with a hypersensitive child. One form of trauma, everyone gets it. And the child goes into, you know, traits of BPD. And then the parent is left with this really hypersensitive child that they just don't know what to do. And they're scratching their heads going, Oh, I don't know what to do. I don't. I, they can't move. It's like it's like the worst game of chess. Going if I move this way, I don't know how it's going to turn out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It's a nightmare for everyone because the parents are afraid. Then they're afraid because we. Yeah, my mum always used to the terminology of walking on eggshells, and I think summing it up with a child that's got a hy- is a hypersensitive and all that it sums it up really well because you're like you don't want to push them too much but you yeah. still want them to do normal children stuff but yeah 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 it is and uh, you know i know it's a cliche it's such a cliche to walk them on eggshells um i don't know who made it up but it is it's a cliche but it is true <laughs> it's a sense of you just you're kind of feeling your way and you know something that's just parenthood as well in its own little way mm. you are always feeling your way with children and you know as a parent myself you can see how you can get it wrong all the time with them, even if you're trying, because you're trying to deal with a brand new personality also, and a personality that might be towards your wife or uncle or father or father-in-law. You're dealing with children that have the personalities of the family. You know that type of way? Like, you could be, yeah. you could be like whoever in your family, you know, not necessarily your mother or father. You could be like your grandma, yeah. grandfather, you know, and this is the way it goes. So even as a normal parent, you're trying to feel your way around to see what you can do as chil- with your children. Yeah. Of course you're going to get it wrong. And then if you have people with BPD, it's just 10 times kind of more. <laughs> yeah. um, it's like with blind. It's like you put blindfold. It's like your wand. Every day I see that film or bird watch or something where she has the blindfold. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know for people who haven't watched Birdwatch, it's a film basically where the whole film, you can't take the blindfold off your eyes or the spirit or whatever it is will, will kill you. And that's kind of like parenting someone with BPD. <laughs> that's like, <laughs> it's like you just can't take that blindfold off and you have to, no. figure, you have to figure your way around life. And everything yeah. is a mistake. You're touching these things. Yeah. So yeah. that's my... Uh, that's my six o'clock analogy of BPD. <laughs> I love it. Take it, take it on with me forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you're, you're. Uh, how many more years have you left in college? Oh, so I've only just started this year. This, I think I've got like four weeks left for the year, um, yeah. and then I've got three more left after that three years. So. Oh, good. And um, so you're going to go hopefully into what do you hope to do? What's your hopes and dreams? We'll say in the future. Um. One of them would be child protection. I'm I'm still sitting on the fence for that one just because I know it's very hard and like not not as that's hard. Like most fields with social work is hard, but I think seeing the way children 
children are and the actual families are, I don't know if myself would cope as it, with it yeah. um, being in that field, but I do want to work with children, adolescents and youth with mental health. And I do want to get like specialized training for people that do have borderline or bipolar. Um, so yeah, working with children with mental health. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and as you're agreeing in your, in your own way, it is, it's something that you're going to need to be fairly mentally strong for. You know, yeah. People always say to me, how come you never go into counselling yourself? I wouldn't be able for it. That's just the truth. It's grand me chat you behind the microphone and then I go off and spray cars. The car doesn't be roaring back at me or whatever going, I'm not doing this. Put the paint on you. Put the paint on. You know, <laughs> I don't get that. Um, and I'm not, I'm not. Would you believe? I was chatting to someone yesterday as well about this. I would not be able to do college. Literally, I do not have. Um, I was only thinking about this yesterday because people were chatting to me going, you have a sense of intelligence. And I'm there going to my head going, I know there's an intelligence up there. I can't retain information. Oh, so I can't like I, I so college would be the ultimate nightmare because like reading a book for me. Uh, would be a nightmare. I can't, it won't go in. I just hope none of my lecturers listen to this, but I don't do the weekly readings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just don't retain the readings. I can retain the assessment pieces, but just not the readings. I think it's just too much at once. I'm, yeah, I'm more a visual person. Uh, in mm. a sense of I need to, I need to touch and feel and, and, and talk, you know, in that sense. I have to build a picture in my head. Um, and there wouldn't be enough time in college for the likes of me. <laughs> wouldn't be enough time it'd be like visual arts garden <laughs> stuff for me going oh fuck we have to teach this fella so yeah like um and i think that's important as well like to know your limits in life like i just wouldn't be that I, i'm not academically intelligent is what i'm trying to say academically uh i wouldn't be intelligent <clears throat> i'm more of a guesser Ah, yeah, I didn't do well in high school, but uni, I'm seeming to do pretty good. So, well, that's brilliant. Who knows? Yeah, no, that's great. Like, in fairness, yeah, no, um, yeah. So, like, no, I uh, next question. I don't have questions. I never have questions. Kind of. Late. <laughs> no. So you're you're three years in, right? Yeah. Do you believe in recovery? This is a big topic at the moment. Do you believe in recovery, or do you believe? Because I was chatting to someone only there, um, Melanie from Canada, literally last night. Um, and she's, ter- she's training in her master's to be a psychotherapist. And I kind of threw it in straight away with her going, I don't believe in recovery because, or, you know, you just manage your emotions, right? Now, she's correct in what she's saying. I'm not denying what she's saying. She's actually correct in the terminology. I'm looking for your opinion. What do you believe is it because I right here, I give you my argument. My argument is to manage your emotions. Everybody does it. There's nobody on the planet. The Buddha who would have been fairly stable mentally would have had to manage his emotions. The Dalai Lama would be managing his emotions. He's alive. He would be man the Pope just to bring the Christians in. Um, he would manage his emotions. People still feel anger, sorrow, sadness, all the, the other emotions that aren't on the happy spectrum. 
and they still have to manage them. So my argument is that argument to me is null and void that people, oh, you'll just learn to manage your emotions with BPD. I think that argument myself is null and void on the, on the purpose of everybody just manages their emotions. What do you think? Um, with recovery, uh, I know it's one of those big things where it's really iffy with certain people. I reckon when it comes down to, I think, what's the word of putting it, self-destructive behaviours, so like self-harmings, all that type of area, I reckon there is, there's parts of recovery with that. So you recover from um, self-harm, you recover from, I guess, drinking. So I reckon there is recovery. And yes, we all learn to manage our emotions, but I think people with specific mental health conditions they recover they don't they recover from it to a certain extent where they are able to manage it to their best degrees because everyone with a mental health um, condition is going to be managing it differently and so someone's managing could be um could be going to the shops every day and going doing things every day and the other person's could be i read books every day that's me managing that's me recovering and so I think there is a part of where recovering is a part of it, but I think when it comes to emotions, yes, we all manage our emotions and we all manage it to a different certain extent. Yeah, yeah. That's true, actually, yeah. Um, I notice now sometimes with the children, I, I'll, I'll gravitate towards washing the dishes. Do you know the type of way? Because at least I'm doing something. And if they're, yeah. at, you know, if they're doing what children do, I'm like, oh, I'm washing the dishes. I'm just washing the dishes, you know, and that way then I'm not going, Jesus, will you fucking stop? Christ almighty, stop the fighting. Christ. And Christ walks in the door. I'm here. I'm only pressing. <laughs> um, yeah, so I suppose in a sense, we all kind of do it. Um, I know people who hum, you know. Mm, oh, yeah. I watch people. I don't know why I watch people, but I love watching people. And I love when I'm watching people that I kind of, I'll scale them and see where I am with them and see who they are as people. I don't know why. It's just in my head. And I've watched certain people. And when certain people I know that are extremely patient, and I mean extremely patient, like you wouldn't hear them curse. They don't get excited. They don't get elevated. They don't get angry. And I was looking at them going, there has to be something. Like... (laughs) Are you're just a cyborg in there. There has to, I mean, because life is life, as you see, even at 19. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to go, oh, at 19, you don't know. Everybody knows life. Life is traumatic regardless, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, in my experience, it actually gets harder as you get older, um, which means you're supposed to be more mature. And I mean that respectfully. You know, as you get older, you're supposed to be more mature, which means because it's like, here, I have this for you now. I'm not ready for that. You're, you're a bit older. You should be ready. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and that's life. I'm not saying I send you. Yeah. But either way, this person, um, I was looking at them and I said, there has to be something. There has to be. And as it turns out, there is. When they get angry, their nostrils flare and they hum. And I was like, ah, oh, right. Okay. So that's what you do. I'll never say it to them. I know, you know, because then you're highlighting, you know, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I think, you know, I wouldn't say that. But at the same token, that's what they do. They, and their nostrils flare out. And that's when they're annoyed. <laughs> that's, that's really good observations, though. 
Oh, I, you see, I academically nightmare. Uh, <laughs> watching people, I don't know why. I've always done it. I don't know why. Um, Private investigator skills. <laughs> I just, I just watch people um, and listen. And I don't know why. It's just the way it is. Um, but I'm always looking for that little, you know, the way people with BPD were looking for the facial, the eyebrow lift, anything like yeah. that, certain shoulder shrug or something, anything to go, oh, what did you just do? I seen something. Oh, like a little lip twitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's it. Yeah. My thing, mm, I keep wetting my lip. That's my thing. I said it in a couple of podcasts ago. Oh. And, and when I said it, because we were on about like twitches people do, and I do, I always wet my lips. Um, and then I says to myself, you must keep saying it because it's going to completely distract everybody. <laughs> so everyone will be looking for it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, right, we've got your future. So you're, li- you're going to uni. You're going to, you're going to help children. Um, have you any other plans then? Uh, Travelling, anything like that that you want to do that you didn't think you could do when you got diagnosed with BPD? Oh yeah, most definitely. Um, I mean, COVID's kind of in the way at the moment, but I would love to travel. I think at the moment I'll just stay in my own country because international flights are shut. But um, I want to go to Tasmania in Australia and a few other little places in my own state. But my ultimate goal would to be going with mum back to England because she's from England. I'm Australian. She's from England. And going back there and seeing her family and doing a whole Europe trip would just be amazing. I'd love to do it. Oh, that'd be great, wouldn't it? In fairness, yeah, especially if yeah. she's from England. And uh, you want to go back. But COVID, you've locked down. Are you locked down? Are you, are you not low fire? Uh, where my state's not in lockdown. We've had one case. Oh, we've got three case, active cases at the moment, but one of them's from a different state that's travelled over here. One's just <laughs> a, a truckie that's just travelled yeah, from another yeah. state over to me, like, but he I'm lives not- here, so he's classified as ours. And then we just had one down, travelled from another state as well to us, but they're all in hotel quarantine. But we haven't really had close contact cases for a few months now. But where- the other states next to us are just going off with cases. So whereabouts in Australia are you? Like, what, what's, uh, whereabouts? Um, so... South Australia. So, like, if you look at the map of Australia, you like kind of go down to the bottom in the middle, Adelaide. and I'm like right there, Adelaide. Yeah, Adelaide. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, because uh, um, so like Brisbane, Melbourne, all them are are um, they're the bad ones, aren't they? Like they're the bad. Yeah, ones. they're in a bad spot at the moment. <laughs> they're not playing by the rules. They're just and and no. that, I mean, it's nothing got to do with us. It's nothing got to do with us. <laughs> Yeah, well, one of the, I can't remember which state it was, but one of the premiers was like, can you guys just open your borders? You're going to get COVID eventually. Just open it up and get it over and done with. We're like, nah, we want to shut. Yeah, yeah. We're not getting COVID. It's an aghast mentality of it. Like, I think in Ireland we have a, like, in Ireland we're finished, right? We're done, right? Oh, wow. We're done, right? Thankfully we're done. Um, October 22nd, we're opening up. We're finished, right? In Ireland. Um... So I'm only going to speak for Ireland, but like we're finished. We've 92% of the population are vaccinated. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, we're, we're not vaccinating any children below the age of 12, which I'm really happy yep. for. Um, personally, I'm not vaccinated um, and because I, I can't get vaccinated. It's not that I'm not. I'm not anti-vaccine. I can't. Um, yeah, and like we've over 
I was only asking the other day because I don't I don't um watch the news, but I was my mother, you know, I think we still have like over a thousand cases a day. And nobody, oh, wow. like nobody that's my point, is like it's perception. It's like mm. it is all perception. When you're in a locked up state, like literally what you're in, um a thousand cases might be, oh my god, oh my it's a thousand cases. Oh Jesus, what are you? Whereas we're getting like I'd nearly look up my phone just to check yesterday's cases. But we're over a thousand cases a day and nobody's wow. batting, like nobody's batting an eye at this stage. Nobody's batting an eyelid. It's like, you know what? That's it. October 22nd on October 22nd. I'm not allowed into any pubs or restaurants at the moment. But on October 22nd, I will be. Oh, wow, OK. Yeah. So that's it. We're finished. In other words, like um. 92% are vaccinated. We have herd immunity, according to science. And the way they look at it is, is whoever's vaccinated now is vaccinated. Whoever's not is not. That's their choice. Um, and let's just open up society again, because COVID is two years in on the planet at this stage. Yeah. I know a fellow in Dublin that had it on October 19. So we're oh, wow. Yeah, October 19. And yet the first case was diagnosed in February 2020 but this fella literally got his bloods taken in October 19 and six months later in April when he got his bloods again that it said you had COVID in October so that's a fact so like wow fact that's not you can't contest it literally when he that's crazy though that's my my point is is we're two years Mm. in but we have been exposed we have And, you know, the argument I would be, the argument, right, is with me would be that dude in his own right was kind of half right going, you do need to expose yourself to it. You can't hide from it. It's like it's a virus. You have to expose yourself. It's like I was chatting to someone yesterday and there's a bit of a um, something in my throat. Right. And he goes, Jez, you don't sound great. Ah, says there's something in there for the last couple of weeks, which there is. Right. I says, it's fucking circulating around the family. They're doing the tour, right? That's the way it is. It's circulating around the family. And he goes, what do you think is it? I said, I haven't a clue. I don't know. Like, and do you think is it the COVID? I don't, I wouldn't be thinking like that. I don't think like that. I go, <laughs> my body has a bit of a sickness in it. I'll see, can it heal itself? Right. Yeah. Well, I'm still going to work. I'm not, whatever. But as I was saying to him, the kids brought it home from school. Yeah. They're the main culprit most of the time is the kids. Well, you see, of course, because if you can imagine when you go and you introduce a child to another child and their bacteria has never once mixed with each other, you're going to have to build an immunity to that. And I was saying to him, Do you know, if kids, if kids actually never broke from school, it, we'd be fine. The summer break is what kind of... Kills it for people in a sense because they're not yeah. mixing. No, and that's the problem. When you're not mixing, you're not mixing your bacteria. You're actually supposed to. So that's yeah. Have- I w- <clears throat> oh, I was just gonna say I work in childcare, and when I have breaks from work and for like Christmas or whatever, and I go back, I'm like, oh, I'm getting sick. I can, and yeah. I wasn't sick when I left. It's like, oh no, I'm needing to build up the immunity again. <laughs> and that's it. That's exactly it. Is that people have to intermingle around each other to build. 
we would have to, if we met each other, we'd have to, our bacteria would have to intermingle to get to know each other. To, and that's just the way yeah. it's always been, you know? Yeah. I know you have people fucking spraying holy water at me at this stage, but it's just the way it is. <laughs> it's, 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 not, it's not, it's a science. It's not an opinion. It's like, that's just yeah. human nature. So in a weird way, your man, whoever's saying, oh, you need to just let it in. I'm not, and you know, again, people are going, oh, people are dying. Um, my my mother lost her partner in November 2019, and there was a flu in the hospital that nobody knew about. Um, and it, and that's what killed him. Um, so you know, and at this stage they didn't have a clue. You know that type of. And if it was here in October, it spreads fairly quickly, as we knew. <laughs> if it was here in October, it was here in November, and it, I'm sure it made its way 80 mile. Um, from where Dublin was to Athlone. But yeah, that's it. But I think two years on, we should be able to have normal discussions at this stage without people throwing stakes at you and going, you're evil, you're a monster, you're, you know. Yeah. I lost someone. I, I literally, I, I, I was very fond of that man. I'm not saying he died of COVID. He did, he did die of an influenza. That's a fact. He did die of an influenza. Yeah. And he was 83 years of age. Yeah. He wasn't three. He was 83. You know, average age of life is 82. He got one year extra. You know, that's just life. People get very offended by people dying. We're all going to fucking die. Every one of us. Go and die. <laughs> My children are going to die. That's the way yeah. I like. I look at life in a very logical, even though I have BPD, I look at life in a very logical way and going, that's just a reality. You need to kind of go put that to one side and go, my children's children are going to die. And my mm. children are only children. You know, that's just the reality of life. Rather my than- mom says that quite often, actually. I think a lot of people in my family say that often. They're like, we're going to die one day. I'm like, oh, okay. Just yeah. not today, though. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, my, I love the fact of, I would reflect on that min- a minimum of three times a week. Minimum. I mm. would look at it and go, imagine now if you had only six months to live, what would you do? Right? In a weird way, it really kind of, I don't waste a lot of time with my life. Mm. I don't kind of mess about in a sense of, I don't get dragged down by stuff. I don't get into a, a lull where I'm ruminating over something for a long period of time on a negative way. I'll ruminate over other stuff that I'm inquisitive about to try and figure out the mind. And, and, and the, the kind of, pretense of death I suppose makes me like that in a sense going would you ruminate over this if you had six months to live and generally you'd be like no I wouldn't well, then don't ruminate over it now mm-hmm. you, don't, you don't know if you have six months to live I don't know if I have six no, you months don't. <laughs> give me a clue um, and that's my attitude is that if you're not going to if, if you had six months to live would you ruminate over your current problem probably not yeah, and, and that's what that's where I do. My sister said that to me a few weeks ago. Someone dying. And I said, that's the importance of that. We need to have people dying to appreciate life. Mm. You wouldn't appreciate life if you never died. You'd be like, ah, I'll do whatever I want. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You'd just be like. Be like those know. movies where the lady doesn't age at all. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that'd be the ultimate nightmare for me to never die. 
to never die would be the ultimate nightmare. Like I, I was asked once by a Christian because uh, I'm atheist. Uh, oh, you know, you're never going to heaven. Did you ever consider that I might not want to go? <laughs> that doesn't cross your mind at all. Like to think I might not want to go. That just mm. to think I might just go. And there's going to be a very long sleep for me. <laughs> peaceful sleep. <laughs> won't be peaceful. It won't be peaceful. I tell you, you're right. Because even that, right? I'll tell you why. Before you woke up this morning, were you aware that you were asleep? You're only no. aware. Oh, because you're only aware when you wake up. That's true. So at every night, how do you know you didn't die? You have no oh, clue. that's going to mess with my head. <laughs> it's gonna gonna be going to bed tonight. I'm gonna be like, oh, I'm gonna die in my sleep. Oh yeah, all right. I do like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but that's my point. Is that there is a stage every night when we go into a, such a deep stage of unconsciousness, mm. when our body is healing ourselves. It's healing, and you're not dying. You're healing. Um, <laughs> but the healing part, in my opinion, is equivalent to death. You're just not aware anymore. That's it. You're done. Yeah. And to me, that's where I wouldn't worry about that. It's like, people said, do you worry about dying? It's not really going to be a big issue for me. Kind of big issue for you if you're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> you're the one going to be feeling the pain. I'm just going to be unconscious. Yeah. I'm going to be un- unconscious. So, you know, and, and I look at life. I look at life in a very pull the plaster. That's the way it is. Kind of attitude. Straight to the point. Oh, oh yeah. Blunt as the get. Um. I think that's, in my opinion, the best way of looking at life because there, there's no kind of um, ah this or that. It's just pull the plaster, you're done. That's it, you know. <clears throat> Simple as. But like life and death, we're all going to die. My biggest, I don't think people are afraid of death. I think they're afraid of living. Yeah, I reckon, I reckon that's a lot true, yeah. That's I think just... the only thing I'd be like if I was afraid of death is like, it being painful, I guess. All right. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. A long and painful death. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I don't think in these days we'll go through a long and painful. You're morphing. Um, my, yeah, that's true. My, my father died. He, he got diagnosed in May, May 2005 and he died in March 2006. So it was nine months um, with cancer. But, you know, he had morphine. So the pain yeah. wasn't there, you know, that type of way. Um, yeah, so, you know, in these days, pain, I suppose some people do have a bit of pain, but the majority of pain is taken away with morphine. So again, nothing yeah, to, worry, true. to worry about. <laughs> you seem to be the type of person that would worry over death. Hmm. Do you? Right. <laughs> I don't know. I've... I had days, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Days. No, I never. I never. I never. Hmm. The first. Now, I can have a few days where I do, but yeah, most of the time, like I guess I wouldn't really worry about. It. I guess, I guess I worry more about my family passing than yeah. my own, like them myself. Hmm. That seems to be a fear with people. Um, a few people I know they have a terrible fear of their family dying. Hmm. You know, it's like, and I and. I think the fear is not them dying. Here's where I'm extremely blunt, right? They don't, you don't know who I'm talking about, so either way, it doesn't matter. I don't think they're afraid of their family dying. I think they're afraid that they won't cope. 
Yeah. Which true. is not really a fear of their family dying. It's a fear for them. Yeah, it's true. You know, it's more self-centered. <laughs> you know that type of <laughs> like, Yeah. I'm really afraid of you dying. What part? The part that I won't cope. Oh, you're not really afraid <laughs> of me dying, so you're just afraid you won't fucking manage it after I'm dead. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's about you. That's not about me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I once said that to one of my family members, and they turned around like, oh, you're just not wanting the good food anymore. And I was like... Yeah, I'll miss your food. There you go. Yeah, it's all about about us. Yeah, I I, like I would reflect on some of the closest family I have dying. And I'll tell you one thing. It's not a pretty sight. Um, Mm. It's not a pretty sight. I do reflect on it. Um, As I said, three times a week, it's like I'd knock on the door of death and go, I'm due in to talk about death now. Oh, come in, so... Um, you know, and I'd, re- I'd reflect on the closest members die and stuff like that. And it's not nice. It isn't nice. But at the same token, I respect the fact that I then don't waste time. I would talk to them and visit them and whatever else. And again, you see, that's what that does. It, it, you know, you'll get your most amount of visitors when you're dying. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> you do. You do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Tommy down the road never calls. His mouth is sorry, he's awful busy, but you're dying now. I'll make time for you. Um, yeah. It's just true, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> That's why I reflect on dying. So then I don't have to make them excuses with the people that are important in my life. See how important what? you see how important death is now when you're <laughs> on it. You'll be like, going, I was afraid of death yesterday. Now, after Sean, I'm going to fucking. I'm going to really get into this debt thing. <laughs> it's for everybody, you know? <laughs> yeah. And when, when like, like that, I would, I'd reflect on that. So the people in my life, obviously I can't call to everybody, but the people in, life, in my life that are important to me, it makes me then have no regrets. Mm. I don't think people, I don't think it's the problem of debt. I think it's the regrets. It's like, I don't really want yeah. to be there. Yeah, it's regret. Like, I see, this is where I'm blunt. It's like, it's not got to do with that. It's everything got to do with how the person feels about themselves. <laughs> well, I was always there for them. I never seen you. Well, I thought about them. All right. That's just you, so. <laughs> you know, it's always about them, how they feel about yeah. Like, we sent our father off. He, he, Our father was an extremely violent man. He wasn't a good man in a sense. And I'm not talking bad about him when he's dead. That's another thing with death I find strange. Don't talk about the dead, the dead when they're, you know. Then yeah, we'd have yeah. to fucking say Hitler was a sound piece of skin. You know, it's just not the way. You know, they are what they are, and that's the way they are. But either yeah, way, like, death doesn't change. No, <laughs> no, it doesn't change. It doesn't like some people like to fucking saint make people into saints um, when they die and all this sort of stuff. Oh, they were good. I, I don't recall you talking good of them when they were alive. Yeah, but they're dead now. We'll have to talk good about them. I, I, I don't. No. I think what you are is what you are. And you, when you're dead, the only thing I think that does is this. That ends any chance of you changing anything. So yeah. really change it while you're alive. That's the, I think it's a miracle to be alive. Even though I'm atheist, I think it's a miracle to be alive. One in 400 trillion chance of me being born one in 400 trillion chance of you being born. That means there was a lot of chances that we didn't get born. 
And I respect that. I think that's a wonderful thing in its own simple miracle way. And I know I'm atheist and miracles don't exist, but the chances is one in 400 trillion. That in itself, I'm going to nominate to be a miracle. Um, and I think that's lovely to be, to have that life and to room, this is my point, to ruminate over your whole life. Mm. Every day you ruminate over something negative. It's one day less. You have one yeah. every, every day on the planet, you have one day less. That's a fact. Everyone. The other the thing I always think about is you go through each year of like your life and it's like, well, this year I've gone past my death date, but I just don't know when it is. I've just gone past it though. Yeah. Yeah. Unless they magically add a new month to the year, like somewhere along the lines, you've gone, everyone's gone past their death date at one point. Unless you're a newborn. Yeah, everyone has. Everyone, you you know, everybody has. Everybody, like, like as I was saying about my mother's partner, he, the average age of life is 82. He got to 83. I was chatting to my sister the other day and she was telling me she um, knows a man and I think he's 87. And he laughs at the fact that he's 87. Isn't this a joke? He says, I shouldn't even be here. And I think that's a brilliant way of looking at life at 87 years of age going, this is a pure joke. I should, And he loves life. He lives a very active life. He's a really positive human being, which is, I believe, one of the reasons he got to 87, you know, is his positivity. And he laughs at the fact that he's alive. He goes, this is a joke. I shouldn't even be here. I think that's just a brilliant way of looking at life. Yeah. Love. He doesn't take it serious. You know, that, yeah. The, the, you know, so I think I being positive increases your age. Ruminating over stuff that's negative, it's been known to make you sick. So I'd imagine it will decrease your age. Even though, like, as I said, there's something there. There's something lingering in us for a couple of weeks. I don't once, not once that I think, oh, fucking hell. This is it. You know, that type of way. Like, you know, I'd make myself worse. I'm just going, look, whenever you're finished, go home. <laughs> In the yeah, like, you saying beforehand when you were saying the um a part where it makes you sick when you ruminate and all that, I did a psychology topic. I'm doing a psychology topic at the moment. I did a, a similar one last semester, but last semester, I don't even remember what was on. It was a lot different to this one, but it's the same lecturer. And we did something on stress and there was a thing that we watched, like a little podcast that we had to watch it. And it said in it that they, when they did a study that people it had shown when some you give someone to something to stress, to stress about, they actually died quicker than someone that wasn't stressing about it as long. Mm. And it was a study that they did over a few years. And I was like, wow, so stress is a killer. Like even though stress doesn't itself kill you, it's the part that, oh, stress can affect the brain and can cause strokes or it can make your heart race too much. And it's the physical symptoms of it that's killing people. I was like, wow. <laughs> it does. Like there's a term in psychology called issues become tissues. So all the issues you have will become tissue and the tissue is actual sickness. Yeah. Of course, if you're flooding your brain every day, I'm not saying you're doing it deliberately, but if you're, if you don't relax and you don't learn how to relax and learn how to let things go, I'm a legend for letting things go. I can let things go. Um, if you don't learn how to do that, 
you're going to be releasing cortisol into your body constantly and the cortisol is not human body friendly it's only there in times of stress when you're being chased when you need to pull the child off the road you know yeah. a quick cortisol gives you that adrenaline to do something yeah but if you're flooding your body all day with cortisol uh you're that's not healthy it's just not healthy yeah. you're constantly flooding the body with and that's where repairs and tissue damage causes because you're constantly in that state of cortisol which means your body's actually going are we constantly under pressure here you know the type of way yeah it is it's a it's a case of um issue becomes tissue in that sense where stress i the people that i notice in my life that live the longest are those that are very calm Mm. you know they're very calm people yeah. You know, look at the elderly in your life. I'm not saying they're all calm. <laughs> majority of them in my life go, they're, they're calm. They're able to keep it together. Yeah. I, I look back on my grandpa from my dad's side of the family. Um, he passed away 2019, but even though he was in the arm, uh, in the Air Force, Navy, one of them, in the military, yeah. and he lived like stress from that and everything. I look back on the things that he used to do with us as kids and all that. He was still pretty calm. And mm. he was, I think I was like six years off being a hundred or something like that. Six, four years, wow. four or yeah. six years away from a hundred. I was like, he lived a long time. Well, you see, that's it. It's not in life. It's not, it's not what happens to you. It's your perception of it. Mm. You, you know, it's not the event that causes the stress. It's your perception because yeah. Even as I was saying that to you, I was thinking of World War II veterans that live into their 90s. And I mean, what they witnessed, your, yeah. your, your grandfather could well have been there as well. Um, yeah, I think but, it was a World War II. Yeah, yeah. That's what yeah, so there you go. There's exactly. I was thinking this going, World War II veterans, because I know this, lived to a good age, some of them. So it's not what happens to people. Because they would have experienced one of the highest amounts of trauma on the planet. It's how they perceive it. It's how they handle yeah. it. You get someone, uh, again, look at me with that. My perception of that is a lot less than someone who's afraid. Yeah. Which means I'm not stressed about it. Yeah. The very day my daughter was born, my first daughter, she came out. I looked at her and went, you're going to die someday. That was my first thought. And okay, so don't waste it. That was my second thought. <laughs> and I didn't like go, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. You know, I was just going, you're going to die one day. Don't you probably it. look at the doctors looking at you like, what is he thinking? Yeah, yeah. They were probably going, <laughs> he must be so happy at this because even my wife looked at me and went, you know, because, you know, the man and the boy and all this sort of thing. And I'm delighted with my family. You know, and she, so she probably caught me in that moment of going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, <laughs> <clears throat> but I mean, that's a fact. I don't, I, yeah. do not, I just do not ruminate over it in a negative way. It really makes sure I don't waste my time. I'm with yeah. your grandfather. Look what I mean. Not stressed. I'm not a very stressed person in that sense. I don't, even though I was years ago. But you know something? Years ago, I was really stressed with BPD. Really, really stressed. And listening to a lot of books, 
and listening to people going, uh, secondary stress shortens your life later on, right? This is the fact. People that experience high levels of trauma, when they get into their 50s, they get sick again, and then they die early. And as they're going, oh. that's a bit of a, oh, my son has corrected me on cursing there yesterday, right? You've listened to some of the podcasts. I'm fairly good. Yeah, some of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm not cursing anymore. <laughs> this is right. So I, have to go. I can't let my speech flow. I have to practice. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah. So thanks very much, uh, Charlie. Uh, yeah. He asked me to stop cursing and I'm going to honor his wish. Five and a half years of age. Um, can't even think what I was going to say there, but yeah, because I can't curse now. I'm not able to flow. <laughs> See, that's the thing about cursing. It's just honest. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it comes out. It does. You see, cursing is just, it's cursing is just for people who can't make up stories. In other words, if you're not really good at lying, you tend to curse more because <laughs> people that are good at lying can just bridge the gap with a word and it's not real. Uh, I tend to find myself cursing if I want to make the, not a story, but make something that happened seem like make it in words as big as it was in person. Because sometimes you say, oh, yeah, it was really cool. Like, it, that doesn't sound like it was that cool. Yeah. But it was. <laughs> how would you how would you say it then with the curse? Oh, I don't want your son to hear then. <laughs> Yeah, you see, cursing just, it fills the gap, doesn't it? It just fills yeah. in that. It gives it that little bit more oomph, you know? It does. It gives it a bit more oomph, you know? Like, you couldn't turn around and say to someone, I am just so flipping mad with you now. Yeah. It just doesn't hit it. It just doesn't, you know? Um, yeah, it just doesn't. Honestly, me, I would picture someone doing a flip while being mad. Yeah. It, yeah see, there you go. And you've lost the whole context of what they are with you. <laughs> You know, so yeah, that's it. It's, 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 uh, yeah, I have to try and give up the cursing, which is going to interfere with the podcast <laughs> in a weird way because I'm not going to be able to flow. Um, and I'm after even forgetting totally what I was talking about there to bring it in because I was trying to curse and then I pulled myself away from cursing. I'm not allowed to curse. <laughs> well, I am, but I, I, I like to, I like to think in our family, everyone gets a say. I'm very much a kind <laughs> of a, you know, I don't have full rule, um, but and my son literally pulled me on it and said, I don't like you cursing. And I said, will I stop? And he goes, yes. And I, yeah, easier. That's fair enough. <laughs> easier get over death. <laughs> yeah, I did that. I was I was cursing. Him. I accidentally cursed in front of my um, cousin's daughter the other day. And um, she looked at me and she goes, language. And I was like, oh. Oh, whoops. <laughs> I was like, you're picking uh, me up on it now. Yeah, yeah, language, language. Yeah, 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 yeah. there's an honesty with cursing. I mean, you know, even though, like, this year alone, I've given up sweets. Oh, my know? goodness. Yeah, I've given up sweets. I figured it out. I figured, I figured it out for Sean Keys. I didn't figure it out for the whole world. I figured, I didn't, uh, I figured it out for the world. I figured it out for me, but I definitely figured it out. That's yeah. 100%. I'll never eat sweets again. To be able to say that is legendary for me because it took me 10 years to figure that bad one out. Um, I was going to say, I've been saying that for the last 18 years. 
Yeah, I oh, know. I had a sweet addiction. I literally had a sweet addiction. I would eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. Like people would look at me, and I, I was a binge eater. Um, still a binge eater when I think about it, because I didn't give up the binge eating. I just binge on really healthy food now. Um, yeah, I do. I actually still, because I was eating dinner the other day, and I went. Jeez, you love a good binge. You do, because my, <laughs> my dinners would be huge. Like, you know, people would look at me and go, no way were you a binge eater. And then i tell them what I could eat. <laughs> and they'd be looking at me going, oh, I wouldn't even eat that much. There you go. <laughs> You're talking, you know, like a sliced pan. You, yeah. have, you have sliced pans in Australia. You do. Um. I would eat four sliced pans a week. Are you talking like baking trays, sliced pans? No, like, you know, a loaf of bread. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like 20 slices of bread. I would eat 80 slices of bread a week. Oh, wow. That's just to start with. I'm not even talking about the sweets. I would eat a minimum of a kilogram of chocolate. Wow. Little bars are 85 grams. Talk about 12, 13 of them a week. Um, I would eat a minimum of, uh, you know, 700, 600, 700, nine, about a kilogram of chips or crisps. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know your 150 gram bag? Do you know the normal size bag of crisps? We call it crisps. You probably call it crisps because you're British in, in your own way. Um, no, we call them chips. Ah, go away. You're trying to Americanize it. But you still I still have to mention <laughs> both because Americans, when they're listening, they don't, yeah. know, they don't know what chips. Chips to them are crisps. We call them crisps. They call them chips. But I would eat 150. Do you know the big bag, the 150 gram bag? Yeah. And the stupidest writing is on the top. Sheer bag. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> I don't know. I always look at that. I'm like, that's that's not getting shared. They're, they're they're only writing this to, to to kind of quench their own conscience. Don't yeah. eat, don't we're not saying eat at all. Wink, wink. There should be a wink on the top of it. We're not saying eat this ourselves or yourself. You're supposed to share it. You are, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I ate one of them a day. Right. Wish all of. I ate one like I would eat. You know, roughly, roughly 200 grams. No, not 200, about 150 grams of, of chocolate a day. A full bag of ch- the crisps, chips. Yeah. 10 slices of um, bread every day. Um, kind of like a bag of peanuts, a nice 100 gram bag. Oh, yeah. Couple of jellies thrown in there. Ice creams. Every day. Wow. No problem. Didn't even feel guilty. Never felt guilty once from eating sweets. Not an inch of me. Robbed sweets. I, robbed I think more. I'm more just shocked about the bread. <clears throat> yeah. I don't yeah. know. Like, uh, bread swells in your stomach. I'm just wondering how you got 10 slices in the stomach because it swells. <laughs> Easily. Two slices in the morning. Four slices at lunch. Oh, for, throughout the day, yeah. Four slices. At, I used to put in, with my dinner, I put in the bread into the toaster and just, you know, put it down. And then by the time my dinner was finished, I would make a toasted sandwich with the meat. Oh, wow. That was a nice little way to end the dinner. 
Um, now today, not actually today, but as a treat, right? This is mental. As a treat, I might have four slices of bread on a Sunday with a, a sandwich. So I'm gone from like uh, 80 slices of bread a week to four. And, oh, wow. Yeah, and I literally don't crave sweets anymore. Like, it's not like I've been tired. I've been, you know, whatever with life, as we all do. And I literally don't crave sweets. It's not like, oh, I'd love some sweets now. It's gone. Wow. Oh. Totally figured it out. Completely figured it out. Um, how I figured out how to eat. It's not like a big mystery. I figured out how to actually eat, how to actually put fuel into my body where my body then won't crave the sweets. I didn't want to do it where there's willpower because, as I said earlier on, not a huge amount of intelligence up there and a massive amount of will. And if the will will wants sweets, it's going to get sweets. So I done it in a way to make sure there was no willpower required. You know, lots of, without people going, what's what's, what's the secret? And a huge amount of protein. Huge, huge amount of, my dinners now, (coughs) my dinners now, the meat that I eat in my dinner now would be the equivalent of three people's dinners. Okay. Did you ever see a line after it eats a zebra? It's not exactly running around the Serengeti going, oh, it's lying down, falling asleep, going, oh, I'm full. That was a lovely zebra. <laughs> yeah, and the missus up licking his face, all the blood off of going, you got a little bit of zebra on your on your chin. <laughs> so they all go to sleep. They go to sleep afterwards because they're full of meat. Yeah, I figured that one yeah. out. Not a big secret. It's not like, oh, you can read it in my book. Uh, did you ever do that? Did you ever like, did you ever read a book? I love this because I listen to books all day when I'm spraying. Mm-hmm. I'm the best job on the planet. This is why I wouldn't be counseling people. I get to spray cars, which I love, and listen to books, which I love. I'm getting fucking paid to listen. Oh, fucking out. I, I get paid to listen to books. Um, but yeah, and uh, meet, um, yeah, and listening to a book, you go, and there's a big secret in a book, and you're there going, oh, it's a big secret. And then it's at the end of the book and there's 10 hours of talking that you didn't really care about. And then it's the end of the book, which is prompting me maybe to listen to the end of books now. Um, yeah, it's just eat a lot more protein. Oh. Or if you're a vegetarian, fill up on an awful lot of plants. Because I was vegetarian as well. So, um, yeah, a lot more protein. protein oh, or plant- wow. Okay. It's either protein or plants. Fill up on, and do you know what I'm doing at the moment? Because I went carnivore and now I'm gone back, as in not gone back vegetarian, but now I'm filling up on a huge amount of plants and a huge amount of protein because I like to binge eat. And my mother turned around to me yesterday and went, you've lost too much weight. You look like you're dying. And I said, well, I did want to talk to you about that. <laughs> what? Yeah, now that you've brought the topic up, you're going to be walking behind me in a few months. How does that feel? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you shouldn't talk like that. I just did. And you just said I look like I'm dying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I lost, I've lost 35 pounds. 
And here, here's the thing. So do you know what I did as well, right? Because I don't care who you are. Everyone has this weight in their head that they'd like to be. And they let on. They let some let on. No, I don't. You fucking do. And there's me cursed. You do. I might get one in in the podcast just to be a bit of a rebel. My brain is going, no, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks, Charlie, again. Uh, it's going to take me months. The podcast is going to be ruined because I can't curse. <laughs> <sighs> Why do I try and be a good parent? Anyway. <laughs> it's killing me. Yeah, everyone does have their ideal weight. Everyone has their ideal weight. I don't care who they are. They do. They all have their weight where they go. Yeah. That's the weight I would like to be. But I'd let on. I don't. I let on. No, no, I don't mind. I don't mind. What to do? Even I do. So I was saying to myself one day, what's the ideal weight you'd like to be? Right? Yeah. It was 175 pounds. Because 175 pounds is, do you know the weight chart? You know, I'm pretty sure everyone has looked up the weight chart. It's a, it's what your ideal weight should be. It's a chart. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you should be in the weight. With your height and everything. Yeah, and, yeah. And your own country and all that, yeah. Your height and that's it, yeah. So I looked up the weight chart and 175 pounds is in the middle of the green. Right. So it's the middle of the green is a hunt for my height. It's the mid 175 pounds is the middle of the green. In other words, it's the, it's the middle, right, of what weight I should be. <clears throat> so I says to myself, right, go to 170 pounds. So I went five pounds below my ideal weight. That'll allow me to put up five pounds. <laughs> so I'm giving myself a bit of leeway in case I give her a good binge. And I do oh. myself and go up. Oh, 172 pounds there. And then you just slow it down a little bit and don't go too mad that there. And then it goes back down to 170. So I fluctuate now every week. I fluctuate between 169 pounds and 173 pounds every week. Because at the weekends, I do like to let it out a little bit. I do like to let it go. And I don't kind of midweek when I'm working, I have my breakfast, lunch, dinner, and I'm done. That's another thing I could never do. I always ate, ate, ate all the way to bed. <coughs> all the way. I kept eating. I just kept eating. All I'm one of those people that like sometimes has lunch, never has dinner, but I'll eat dinner and then I'll just keep eating after dinner. Because yeah. I guess because I would need during the day, I'm just like food. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, and I do find that comical. It's like, been really good all day, so I could absolutely tear the ring out of it later on tonight. <laughs> it's like, it's I'm like, just never hungry during the day. I'm always like, why? Everyone's like, why are you just not hungry? I was like, mm. well, then I get the dinner time. Everyone's like, I'm so full. And I'm like, I could eat a whole pig today. Yeah, I, I, I have a theory behind that. Some people that are, are you grumpy in the mornings? Oh, yes. <laughs> that, are, that agrees with the theory I have. <laughs> Um, that's why I said you're grumpy in the mornings. So a little thing about sleeping is this. If you stay up late at night, you would be a late night sleeper, I'm assuming. Uh, in other words, you can stay up late. Am I correct? Yep. Right. OK, you see, I'm not a mystic. I do listen to books and I don't listen to books about borderline. I listen to them about the human body. Um, people that generally stay up late. Next day, if you can picture us in a tribe. Right. So we're in a tribe. 
I'm a late, I'm an early go to bed type of person. So when I get up the next morning, who do you think is going to eat whatever's left? Me. But the fact is that you stayed up late means you were watching me and making sure that when if a line came, I would be alive and you would be alive. So your personality is able to stay up late at night. You probably get a burst of energy around 8 p.m., which gives you that little shoot to stay up a little bit later. The people like yourself then don't be hungry in the morning because I would imagine people like me who robbed all the food, <laughs> there was just none there. So you just adapted to not being hungry. But the plus side of that is while I was gone off hunting because I'm up early, you were still back at camp, which means I brought the food back and then we all ate. But you probably get hungry in around lunchtime. So... Again, for people like yourself, lots of protein, lots of that's, that's a really good explanation. You see, I look at the world in a very different way, a very, I don't know why I look at the world as we're all kind of like in a tribe and how would we have survived in a tribe, not currently in a tribe years ago, no electricity, no anything. I look yeah. at it in that sense and I, and I try to untangle a human being from that you know that type of way um yeah so so like with yourself then lots and lots of because i would have been bringing back all the kill i would have been bringing back the kill now then people like yourself would retain weight more than me on the basis that you would have been back at camp you would have had to have retained weight because every morsel i eat I need to get rid of it as quickly as possible because I'm running and sprinting and chased by lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. People are different. People don't realize that. Some people, some people can, some people need to retain weight down to their lineage. In other words, that they would have had to. So someone like me, if I ate food, I have to burn it because I'd be running and hunting. Yeah. Uh, Someone like my sister would retain weight. She wouldn't have been hunting. So her body would have adapted to retain it. And when you understand all this, you go, okay, so how do do I eat for you? Rather than going this diet, that diet, this diet, that diet. And when you look at your body from a, I'm not nutritionist. I just have this (laughs) way of looking at people going, I'd look at people and go, you would have been doing this in the tribe 20,000 years ago. It's more important for some people to retain weight because again, think about, right, I'll give you an example. If I'm waking up early in the morning and eating all the food, it's so important for every morsel that my sister eats that she retains weight because when the winter comes, it's the fat that will help you survive the famine. Mm. Right? That's a fact. That's not like, that's, that's what fat is for. It's to get you through a winter. It's yeah. literally to get you through a winter that you can literally not consume any food and stay alive. There was a fellow in England in 1972. He, he fasted for 372, 300 and 372 days. Wow. Yeah. 372 days. He fasted for, he took, took people say, Oh, you couldn't fast for that length of time. The world record is 372 days. 
That's over a year. Mm. And he took a multivitamin. He took like sparkled water and water. No orange juice. He literally did not eat. Wow. So it can be done because it has been done. So when I looked up all of this, I went, wow, the body is unreal. Like what it can do, how it manages itself, the ability it's able to achieve, like fasting for a full year, which this fella did. And then I started looking at people going, ah, so then that's why you probably retain weight because you wouldn't have been out hunting. Mm. Uh, you know what I mean? So it's so important. Uh, yeah. But then the, so then I looked into all of that. And the bottom line is this. If you want to lose weight, you simply eat a lot of protein. A lot. Wow. Could not, the dinners I'm eating now are the most satisfied. My, my mother said to me yesterday, when are you giving up the diet? I'm not on a diet. When are you going to stop eating like that? My weight, as I said, for the last four months has been, not four months, I've about uh, two months definitely at this weight. My weight for the last two months has fluctuated two to three pounds. And I am eating like a king. <laughs> I'm not eating dinners going, oh, this is horrible. Can't wait to go back to water. Do you know what the weirdest thing I'm finding, if I'm being honest? I'm not craving chipper food or fast food. I'm not craving it. Oh, yeah, I'm finding like I'm I'm prompting myself every week to go. Do you want to know a takeaway? No, you do. I don't have a takeaway. I don't want one. That's a first <laughs> me in my life. So it's mad. That's what the so cool. Mental and I want a takeaway. It's just my mind won't let me have a takeaway. It's like and I actually. Even today in work, I said to one of the boys, will we go for a little bit of a takeaway at lunchtime? Because I'm trying to push my body to have a takeaway. And even this morning when I woke up, I was there going, you're not having the takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> you're going, you have to have a takeaway. Um, which is weird. That's a first for me. You're like yourself kidnapped and forced it down your throat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, no, because I'll tell you why. Because I'm eating really clean and healthy the last couple of months, the last takeaway I ate, I felt sick. Oh. I burned my stomach. And this is why I'm trying to prompt myself to eat a takeaway since I'm going, have a takeaway. Every weekend I'm going, have a takeaway. No. <sighs> so this is a weird, this is for me the weirdest thing on the planet because I've never been like this. Never. Never. Oh, wow. I love me takeaways. I love, as I just said about binge eating on sweets. <laughs> you know, and I'm not an anti. What would you, do you know these people who like they get fish or whatever and then they're all. Yeah, I don't know what they're called. I, I'm, not, I'm not like that. I don't care. I literally don't care. Eat what you want. I don't care. Um, the fact is, at the moment, the way my head is gone, it's like, have a takeaway. And, me, and my brain is like, no, you're not having one. And I want <laughs> one. It's just I'm afraid in case I feel sick. <laughs> so, <laughs> mad. But either way, plenty of protein, plenty of vegetables. Yeah. Lots of different vegetables and lots of different protein. And here's the thing. This is a fact. If you eat quite a lot of protein and quite a lot of vegetables, that's exactly what a human being ate. Oh, wow. There's no way when we caught an animal did we go, no, not for me. You ate until you were full. 
you did binge eat. People go, I don't know why I binge eat. Go back 20,000 years ago and they ate until they were full. There's no way that they say not for me. They went, I don't know when I'm going to get fed again. I'm going to binge eat. Yeah. Oh, we did binge eat. So in my, yeah. argu- my argument with binge eating then is what's wrong with binge eating? As a species, we would have had to have binge eat. Because if you don't know when your next meal is coming, you're not going to go, not for me. <laughs> you're going to get as much as you can into you. Do you ever see animals, lions, still fight with each other? Because they don't know. They haven't a clue when yeah. the next kill. They'll even fight amongst each other. So I continue in that same lineage going, yeah, I will binge eat. It's just the food I'm putting in. It's extremely hard to put up with. Yeah. Yeah. And your stomach, once you binge eat, your stomach fills. When your stomach fills, you will not be able to eat anymore. That's just the way the stomach, mm. you, you fill your stomach. So yeah. Yeah. That was a big long spiel about that. But either way, that's <laughs> Yeah, plenty of protein. Plenty of protein. Um, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So I always ask people, have you any questions then that you want to ask? Because I, I do ask people this because I don't know what to ask. <laughs> it's me cheating. It's me being blunt again. I say, Roderick, <laughs> no, no, I have all these questions here in front of me. Um, have you any questions that you would like to ask? Um, I guess, like, what was... Talking to like everyone else that like has had that is got the diagnosis of like borderline personality sort of how um what would you perceive like I guess in different countries the field and like the way of getting diagnosis has been like has it all been like kind of similar for most people or is it really different for everyone what would you have perceived as from I guess talking to so many people the thing I perceive with people is, like I said earlier on, it's one form of trauma and um, hypersensitive children. Children that are yep. hypersensitive in a sense of, you know, uh, you know, like I'm a parent and, and I see our children, one of them is hypersensitive with their emotions. So yeah. you can clearly see it. You can clearly see that going one is one of our children is clearly more hypersensitive with their emotions to running children, obviously, do you know what I mean? They're, they have to develop and all yet. But one of them is clearly more hypersensitive. Um, so it's that. It's, it's looking at people like that. And it's all as one form of trauma. Like literally one person there was bullied in school. Nothing else. That was it. Uh, I know another person who was mocked doing ballet. Oh, wow. One thing. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking of these people because... I'm not even going into the realms of abuse or trauma or difficult parents or anything like that. It's literally bullied in school, mocked doing ballet. The teacher mocked this girl once doing ballet. That was it. That was enough to, to put her into a state of borderline. Um, the diets, the diets are the diets. A lot of people around the world, um, I do notice a lot of a lot of people with borderline love to binge. Mm. Right? Again. If you're in a constant state of cortisol, your course, your body has to heal itself. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, if you're flooding your body with something that damages it, which we do, if you're flooding your body with the adrenaline to move and run and run away from the threat, 
your body will naturally prompt you to eat afterwards to heal itself in case you've just been attacked. Yeah. Right. It's what people are putting in is the problem. Yeah. So they're craving sugar. <clears throat> the only reason they're craving sugar is because the muscles need sugar to run away. Yeah. That's all it is. It's not like, oh my God, I don't know why. I, I was there going, why do you have a sweet addiction? Because my, my, my body was constantly craving to run away. My amygdala is larger than it should be. Mm. So my amygdala is scientifically larger than it should be, which means I'm in a constant state of alertness. So when I figured all that out, I went, right, well, then just feed yourself. Actually, actually fill your body and then be done with it. Um, so I noticed that a lot, of, a lot of us binge eat. It's just what we're putting in. It's the sugar. And then when the sugar is being processed, the, the bacteria are like, ah, there's nothing here for the body to heal itself. Yeah. Eat, eat again. And then they get a craving again and eat more sugar. And they go, ah, eat again, you know, and the people are like, I don't know why I keep eating because the food you're putting in is not correct. It's just that simple. It's like put in the correct food and the body will just go, thank you. Finish now. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Thank you very much. I can, I can make a body from this. You can't make a body from a Twinkie. You know what I mean? No. It's like, there's nothing in the Twinkie to make a I had to think of what you were talking about a Twinkie was because I remember we don't have them over here and then I had to remember what it is because yeah, I heard I of them. I was like... <laughs> yeah, we don't have them either, but they're full of fat and full of sugar. It's literally... Yeah, they're those, they look like sp sponge things with the cream yeah. in it, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Full of fat, full of sugar. That's why I'm saying a Twinkie. But there's no protein or a fiber. <laughs> so yeah, you can't... Every time you eat something... In my experience, every time you eat something that's not correct to make a human body... Because literally that's the only reason you're eating is to make another body. That's yeah. exactly, realistically, that's what you're doing. Can you make a body from what I'm going to ingest? When you ingest something that's not designed to make a body, of course you're going to be prompted to eat again. And then, but when you put in the correct food, in my experience, all the cravings and everything stop. And even, even, oh, nearly got one out. Even, <laughs> even then that you will stop craving, in my experience, takeaway, which I love. Yeah. Um, so that's, no, that's my experience with people, that they do. They all have trauma. They, they, they do, not everyone binges, but everyone loves something. Clicking, yeah. clicking enter on Amazon, you know, buying clothes. They all just click enter not all but they'll either click enter and go oh, shouldn't have spent that oh you know uh, i reckon like we have in my family we have a really weird one that people do like as in a binge thing hmm. so my grandpa the one the one that passed away in 2019 i think it was like a coping thing and it was also like a binge thing he did you would always get and he was always buying coffee machines so you'd ring up two weeks every two weeks or however often you like to, to him but like mostly every every two weeks you ring up you're like a new coffee machine he's like yeah, yeah, yeah okay yeah. cool can i have it he's like sure yeah imagine that was his thing yeah everyone does yeah. everyone has it you know I, I was asking me service once and she hit the nail on the head and uh she goes don't make something to be a problem if it's not a problem and i said i don't get you 
as I was talking about, you know, the click and the enter, the, the binge eating, whatever. And she goes, <coughs> nothing is a problem if it's not a problem. And I said, explain it to me. I'll give you an example. I love buying shoes. I just love buying them. I really yeah. love buying shoes. And so I do. But that's not a problem. And I went, ah, but are you only saying that now because you don't want it to be a problem? She goes, no. Here's how it's not a problem. My mortgage is paid. I save. Uh, so my mortgage is paid and I save. All my bills are paid. Yeah, I'm going to buy myself shoes. So at no stage of me buying shoes does it interfere with my life. True. So, not, so then it's not a problem. Now she says, if I was buying shoes and I didn't pay my mortgage, yeah, that's a problem. So she says, don't make something... Because even with your, you know, because I was like, as long as, you know, I binge. It's not like people don't, people that know me know I binge. It's not like I've never not binged. And she goes, it's the same with you. Like, if you binge, but you're exercising, well, then you're burning off that fuel. So it's not a problem. Yeah. She goes, so it's not a problem to binge either. If you're correctly putting the fuel in and then burning it off, then it's not a problem. It's also not a problem if you binge and she says you don't mind being up in the weight. That's again not a problem. I have a sister who's heavy. She loves it. Absolutely loves it. Doesn't care. Doesn't like, and I think that's brilliant. I think like she not, I love being fat. She goes that I love being fat. I love my food and I'm not giving it up. And that's what she says. And I think it's the best thing on the planet because she's completely okay within herself. I love that. I think it's brilliant. It's like, she goes, no, no way. I am not being skinny. There's no way am I being skinny. <laughs> I love my food too much, she says. There's no way. Life is too short. And I love that. I love the fact that she's so comfortable within herself. She doesn't care. And she's one of the happiest people I know. That's so but, good. Oh, but that's my point is exactly what the therapist said. Is mm. she? If it's not a problem, it's not a problem. Yeah. So... There's a perfect example, uh, and that's the girl I was using earlier on as the analogy, is, yeah, if it's not a problem, it's not a problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? So something is only a problem when it's a problem. In other words, if it's causing you stress, if it's, you know, now again, if you're not paying your mortgage and you're not getting stressed, that's still a problem. It's like, yeah, but I don't care. No, that's still a problem. <laughs> not my problem. You shouldn't have lent me the money. You should have known. That's still a problem. But no, no, I, it was one of the best things I ever heard from a therapist going, if it's not a problem, don't make it into a problem. Yeah. Simple as. So, yeah, yeah. So that's the thing I find is that we do. No, we're so different as people. We're so different as people go. I think there's 254 different ways you can have BPD. Like we're such a diverse. Oh, wow. Group. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. There's 254 ways. Like you have one to nine. So I mean, the criteria. Yeah. So I mean, if you have someone who has one to five, they have borderline, and you have someone who's four to nine, they have borderline. That's two different people. Mm. Then you could have people. That's what I mean. There's 254 ways to have any of them nine. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So there's so there's quite a diverse community in a sense of we're not all the same. You yeah. Know, 
I, I was chatting to a girl last night who's clearly intelligent, extremely intelligent because she's doing her master's in psychotherapy. She's able to retain information. Bongo here isn't. <laughs> There's a clear difference of intelligence. <coughs> you know the type of way. So, I mean, we are all different. Yeah. I think it's brilliant. We shouldn't be all the same. We should be. Yeah, all we... I think if everyone was the same, it would just be mayhem. Absolutely. Absolutely. Some of us have more levels of, um, you know, the way we look like what we're into. I'm not into gardening. Some people love gardening. So there's no way are we all the same. We're so different. Some people are into fitness. Some people are not. Some people are PT instructors. Some people are not. We are, yeah. and I love that about us is that we're not the same, you know. And like, there's like, you love reading and listening to books. I can't do it. I just can't. Yeah, I, I now technically reading makes me go to sleep. Um, but listening to a book, I can listen to because I love a good conversation. Hence the podcast. I mean, the, which again, I love a good conversation. Hence, I never have any notes because there's no notes in a conversation. Yeah. So I like to have a conversation. I know the podcast can kind of slow down a little bit here and there. But then, as we've just done for an hour and 20 minutes, we just chat about stuff. Yeah. Um, which I think is crucial because we need to just talk about life. To show people the diversity of your grandfather's 90 years of age stuff, life, real life. Coffee machines everywhere. Coffee machines, there you go. And he didn't have BPD. Um, you know, probably a dose of money messing. <laughs> <laughs> have to buy another coffee machine or your family will die. Uh, yeah, yeah well, people with OCD, you're going to learn all this. You know, you must do this 15 times or your family will die. Really? You know, that's the brain of a person with OCD. It's, it's mental in its own way. No pun intended, but yeah. But no, other than that, I um, I love the diversity of people with BPD. I really do. And I love, yeah. I love the fact that people with BPD can come on and talk for an hour and 20 minutes without ever speaking. <laughs> do you know that type of That's true. Yeah. And, and, and uh, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. I, 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 have, I have great affinity for people with BPD. And of course I'm being biased. Of course I am. They're my own kind. I'm their own kind. You know, we are part of the one community. So I do have a good affinity uh, for people with BPD because I think we're people that were brand new. You know, you ask your parents, they'd be scratching their head going, I never kind of had someone like you before. (laughs) (laughs) Are you getting a, it's, you know, people with BPD, would be the equivalent of dropping a motorbike into the Amazon to someone who's never seen a motorbike before. They'd be scratching their heads going, what is that? I think sometimes with mom, I w- like I'll walk down to her and I'll say something. She'd be like, huh? <laughs> She's like, oh, what? Yeah. yeah. I'm like, yep. <laughs> we're different. And I think that's, when I say we're different, I celebrate it in its... Mm-mm. Not because, you know, like gay pride. Yay. Um, not like gay pride. In a sense of we're different and we'll be gay and pride. I'm proud of it. And it should be. 
in a sense of we're different, I think we should just acknowledge the fact that we're different. Yeah. You know the type of just acknowledge it and go, yeah, I, I have no problem saying I'm different. I don't feel bad about being different. Yeah. But I have no problem saying I'm different. I have none whatsoever going, yeah, I'm different. Like, I'm different than you. I have no problem saying that to a neurotypical person because quite clearly I am. Yeah. Quite clearly. I've, I've been ruminating, right? I've been ruminating. About two weeks ago, I started looking up transgender people. Yeah. Two days before I looked up transgender people, I got a thought into my head about transgender people because I made a joke about identifying as a green wheelie bin because I'm full of rubbish. Um, but it was a joke. It was literally a joke. I have been obsessed since looking up transgender people, trying to empathize in their world, trying to get into their world. I love that. Now my back is sore because, I mean, the amount of thoughts that's coming in, trying to process the universe of people that live in, live in transgender world, but that, that they're transgender. In a sense, I'm trying to process all that information. I'm trying to empathize with them. Yeah. And the amount of thoughts, I get me back is sore because, you know, when you're overly stressed with thoughts, your back gets sore. It's, a, it's an indication that you're thinking too much. I love it in its own weird way. I love it, in not in the weird way. And I ruminated, uh, not in a weird way with transgenderism, in a weird way, I love it, that's me. Yeah. Love that that's the, like, the previous thing that I ruminated over was the... Why do you need a treat at the weekend? I ruminated over that for about a month or so. My brain would not stop ruminating over. Why do, why do you need a treat at the weekend? That's the weekend. Okay, why not have it on a Wednesday? And I kept questioning, well, why? Just tell me why. <clears throat> for about a month. Wow. Is, yeah, it's my brain ruminates. It goes, why, what, like like that with, tra- with transgenderism, I will completely absorb myself into their world until I figure it out. Oh, okay. I'll completely absorb myself into why do you need a treat at the weekend? Why? Why do you need, why is every treat then that you need has to be something that's processed, uh, a toxin like alcohol, um, smoking, whatever. It doesn't matter. Why do you need that? I ruminated for about a month over that going, why does the body go for something that actually damages it when it's stressed? That's why yeah. I don't eat, that's why I don't eat sweets or takeaway anymore. Because I figured it out because my brain wouldn't leave me alone ruminating over it every day, going, Did you figure that out yet? Huh? <laughs> why do you need a treat at the weekend? Why is it the weekend? Oh God, here we go again. <laughs> you know, and I'd, be, <laughs> I'd be wrecking my own head. So I mean that's that's how I'm mentally ill, because I ruminate. I'm in the zone of ruminating uh, with the transgender community. Thank I you. will ruminate over that until my brain settles itself going, okay, yeah, I get it now. I understand it. Yeah, I get it now. That's okay. Yeah, and then, I'm, and then my brain will go, which is mental. It's all has happened to me. It'll ask me some other question about life which I don't know yet because I'm in, I'm in the zone. And then I'll ruminate over that until I figure that one out. <laughs> now I'm mentally ill. 
That's exactly how I'm... I, do you honestly think someone wakes up one day and goes, I think I'm going to obsess myself over people that are transgender until I completely figure it out? No. <laughs> and, I, and, 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 and I had zero, like, it's not the zero. I just, it wasn't in my world. Yeah. It just wasn't in my world. It just wasn't a thought in my world. It's completely my world for the last two weeks. <laughs> I even reckon the boys' heads and work picture the scene. The boys are all mechanics. They're all mm. mechanics, right? Which means they all love cars and they're into cars. And I'm up having my tea going, you know, some fascinating world, this world of transgenderism. <laughs> Absolutely. And they're going, oh Lord, because they can't do anything about me. Like, <laughs> I'm like a black dot on a white page. I'm just there. You can see me. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know they're stressing, but I have to vent it out going, yeah, so this now and this and this and this and this, and this is the way I'd be explaining it. And then this and this and this, <laughs> this and this. And I'm trying to figure it out in my head to empathize, to kind mm-hmm. of go, what's the world like? What's the world like? You know? Yeah. I, I, I'm, do you know something? I even contacted the lad yesterday and I said, do you know what the key is? The key is God. And I'm not atheist. The key, in my opinion, the transgenderism is God. Right? This is going to sound mental, because just like as I was explaining food to you earlier on, <laughs> I do not look at the world in the way the mind looks at it. I look at it in the most weirdest way on the planet. I figure it out. Don't panic. <laughs> it's only a phone. <laughs> anyway. I won't keep you too much longer because I have to go to work. <laughs> I think the key to transgenderism is God. To which I've asked a complete Christian, and I've told them why. Not like I'm telling them to come on the podcast. I'm telling them why. And, I'm gonna, and I said to him, I'm going to ask you specific questions about your faith. And I'm going to ask him then questions. And I believe... I have ruminated over this so much going, there has to be an answer. There has to be an answer, right? And God is the answer, which is mental because you have someone like Ben Shapiro who uses God to completely turn it the other way. Yeah. Um, Say, no, no, not right. God didn't want it. And I believe, and trust me when I tell you, if I'm using God as the answer, I've thought of hundreds of different, because my brain is like that because I'm mentally ill. I've thought of hundreds of different questions going, no, 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 no. And then God, and I went, because I'm atheist, I wouldn't have thought of him first. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and I ruminated. I'm not going to tell you because I, I, I have to do the other two podcasts. But I, I was there ruminating over my head going, all right. Oh. <laughs> Oh, that could be the answer. That could be it, right? Yeah. I'm excited about it now because I'm... Two reasons I'm excited. Number one, I'm nearly finished. Uh, Because, yeah, I'm nearly... Because I do get really into it. Number two is I can answer it in my own mind. I'm not saying I have the answer. I don't care if someone goes, no. Once it's... But it's the answer for your mind. If it's the answer... Look, you have to live your life. Yeah. If living your life means whatever you do on a daily basis gets you through your day and you're not hurting anyone, 
as we say, whatever floats the boat. Yeah. If 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 that's what gets you through your door, their day. What gets me through my day is my brain has to settle itself going, you need to figure this out. And once I can figure it out, that's why I talk extremely simple. Because the complications were in the beginning of me ruminating. And then I have to simplify it so much that I'm talking to a five-year-old, which when I'm talking, then I sound like a five-year-old. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the way I look at life. Um, so yeah, that's... that's uh, I nearly have transgenderism figured out in my mind. And God is the key. So it turns out he is, turns out he is useful for, for something. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it's a joke. But look, I'm going <laughs> to let you go now. Um, I'm going to let you go. And uh, look, before I let you go, have you anything else you want to say? Because I don't want to end the podcast unless you get something you want to say as well. Um, no, 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 no. Okay, okay. Well, look, with that, thanks very much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, look, and uh, I'll chat to you again. You do. Okay, bye-bye.